You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Father, as we now open up your word, would you open up our hearts to receive what you have for us, and that we would hear you speaking to us, not just a message, just the explanation of a text, not just truths expounded and applied, but may we hear you, our Savior, our Creator, our Redeemer. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to you all. It is so good to see you. Yes, you guys look so festive this morning. I, I love, my family can testify to this, I love not only Christmas Day, I love Christmas Eve. This is one of my favorite days in the entire year, and it happens to fall on my favorite day of the week. So I am a little jazzed this morning. I'm just letting you know I haven't drank any coffee or anything like that, but I'm excited. I'm excited to be with you this morning, and thank you. Thank you for making this a priority this morning and for being together. Wasn't it great to sing those songs together? And now we get the privilege, and it is a privilege. It is a privilege now that the God who spoke the world into existence, the God that we rebelled against, but instead of turning us away, has drawn us to him. The God that we wanted nothing to do with took on flesh, took on our penalty, paid the price we deserve so that we could be called his children. That God is eager to address us now. So if you have a Bible with you, would you make your way to 1 John chapter 1? 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Church, I never tire of saying this each and every week. It is not just something I say out of routine. It, it is important that we never, ever, ever, ever forget this. Church, this is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. We're not just reading a theology book, a history book. This is God speaking to us. 1 John chapter 1-4 through four. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are, writing these we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. May God bless the preaching of His Word. 
Well, church, today is the fifth and final message in this Advent series. This year we have had, we've been making our way through this series entitled Christmas Year Round, Cultivating Christ-like Virtues. And today we come to our last virtue. And over the last five weeks, this is what we've been doing. We, we've seen from the pages of Scripture, from, from different places in the New Testament, that the way in which Christ came into the world and His reason for coming into the world should shape the way we live year-round. It's a wonderful thing that we do what we do in December, that we decorate, we sing songs that we don't sing all, all year round, songs that celebrate the incarnation and the birth of Christ. The danger, though, is very soon the decorations are going to go up. The Christmas trees are either going to be packed away in boxes or put on the curb for the trash to come pick it up. We're going to clean up all the paper and the bows and make exchanges if we need to and do all of those kind of things. And the danger is all that we've been reflecting on for these last five weeks will be tucked away with all the Christmas decorations until next December. Let it not be so. Because the fact that Christ came into the world and the way in which He came into the world, it should affect the way we live year-round. It really should. See, when we grasp the meaning of the incarnation, that the Son of God became like us to save us and to reconcile us, that, that should cause us to be more grateful, week one. It should cause us to be more humble, week two. It should cause us to be more servant-minded, week three. And it should cause us to be more generous, week four. And when we grasp the meaning of the incarnation, it should also make us a happy people who overflow with joy, right? That, that should be a virtue we exhibit as God's people, as we understand the incarnation. So this is our fifth and final virtue of this series we're going to reflect on today, which seems appropriate that today as we think about the birth of Christ, that we think about this virtue of joy. Now, I want to begin this morning talking about this virtue by sharing with you something that just struck me this week as I was preparing for this message. I had never really given this the kind of thought that, that I have until these last few days, and something struck me, and it's this. Joy is a unique virtue among the list of Christian virtues because I believe it's, a, it's, the, chief, it's the chief virtue. I don't think I'd ever thought about that before. But I think joy is the chief virtue. And here's why I say that. Let me, let me ex maybe demonstrate why joy is the chief virtues by comparing what would it look like to do these other virtues we've talked about for the last four weeks without joy. <laughs> I mean, think about this. To give thanks for something without expressing joy may be polite, but is that really an expression of gratitude? I mean, imagine a mom and dad saying to little Timmy, Go tell Aunt Betty, thank you for the socks. And he walks over there, thank you for the socks, Aunt Betty. 
Is that, is that truly gratitude? He hates the socks. He can't believe she got him socks. He wanted a toy. He wanted a fire truck. He wanted something fun. She got him socks. And that's at least polite. And his parents are doing a good job training him to at least be respectful. But is that gratitude? If there's not joy? I would say no, it is not. I think about the other virtue we talked about week two. Humility. See, a person who seeks to be humble but isn't happy doing so, they're not really humble, are they? See, there's no such thing as a begrudgingly humble person. <sighs> you thought about that? I mean, imagine, imagine a person doing some, some acts that demonstrate humility and someone comes up to them and says, man, I just want to point out the humility I see in your life. Imagine that person responding with, well, I'm glad you see it because I hate being humble. Well, at that point, you would think, okay, I take that back. You're not humble. <laughs> That's not humility. If there's not joy in, your, in you being humble, then you're not truly humble. The same could be true when it comes to serving. Who wants to be served by someone who isn't happy to serve them? You know what I'm talking about? You've either had a good experience or a bad experience at a restaurant or a counter in which that person looks like they are so upset that you are ordering or you've had someone you think, man, you love your job. And it brings me joy that me ordering this hamburger isn't annoying to you. It's actually, you, you look joyful to serve me. See, serving without joy isn't really serving, is it? It's not how I got to do this. I think about generosity. As we saw last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, God loves a cheerful giver. Therefore, if you hate to give your resources away, but you do so anyways in order to meet a need and to fulfill a duty, are you actually benevolent or generous? The answer is no. Because your, your act of giving isn't motivated by sincerity or love, and it's not fueled by joy. See, here, here's what I believe. Joy fuels all the other virtues, and it's the fruit of every other virtue. Think about that. It's why it's so important that, that, that joy be something we cultivate. Joy fuels the other virtues. We can't be humble. We, we can't be servant-minded. We can't be grateful. We can't be generous. If we're not joyful, joyful, joy actually fuels those virtues. And guess what happens when we're humble, when we're generous, when we do all those things? Guess what we get in return? More joy. So joy fuels it, and joy is the fruit of every one of these virtues. Now that brings us to 1 John chapter 1 through 4 as we think about this virtue of joy and how important it is and how it fuels every other virtue and is the fruit of every other virtue. Virtue. I, I want us just to, we're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking this passage like we usually do on a Sunday morning. Our, our, our normal practice is to take a section of scripture and walk through, explain, and apply. I, I simply want to look at this passage because I think John does something here at the beginning of his letter we could miss. Think about what he's saying here. Look back at verse 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
Now the word of life there is, is, his, is John's way of speaking of Jesus. This Jesus, the word of life, we've seen. He isn't just an idea. We saw him. We walked with him. We saw him eat. We saw him weep at Lazarus' tomb. We, we saw the miracles. We saw him walk on water. We saw him do all this. We saw him die. And we saw him place in the tomb. And then we saw him after he rose and he spent time with us. So John says, we're, we're, we're writing about this one that we spent time with. And then he says this in verse 2. The life, the word of life he's referring to was made manifest. And we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So this life that's existed in fellowship with the Father for all of eternity was manifested. Meaning, all of a sudden, He became visible. He became seeable. He became knowable in a very real way. And John's saying, I, I, I want you to know about this one. Why? Why am I telling you about him? Why are we proclaiming to you all that we've seen and heard? John tells us so that you can have fellowship with him. And by doing so, our joy may be complete. See, notice Notice how John and those he's ministering with found joy when others experienced true fellowship with Christ through what they had written down. Here John writes this letter and he says, oh, I want you to know this one that I got to be with. I want you to understand who he was and what he was like. And here's why I'm telling you this, because I want to increase my joy. Now think about how interesting this is. John doesn't say, I want you to know him because he's true. Because everything I'm saying is real. Though it is. John's just made that point. He really was among us. We're not just talking about something we made up. We were eyewitnesses. We, we saw it all. But it's not just enough that it's true. I'm writing it, John says, so that there will be joy. John, John wants to experience joy, and he wants those who are reading this letter to experience joy. See, when we consider who Jesus is and why he came and what he accomplished, we are to be filled with joy. So this morning, we're just going to take a few minutes to look at two things that I believe will help us Increase in our joy and cultivate joy, not just today, not just tomorrow on Christmas Day, not just through the rest of the week, but Lord willing, the things we talk about today will last us throughout the year. So here's the two things we're going to talk about. Finding joy in who Jesus is, point one, and finding joy in what Jesus accomplished, point two. Let's begin by thinking about how we can find joy in who Jesus is. If, if, if the reason John was writing was so that those who, who read could have fellowship with Jesus and have joy, him have joy, them have joy, 
then one of the ways we, we can have this joy is by finding joy in who Jesus is. Now, let, let me explain what I mean when I say finding joy in who Jesus is. There, there are two ways we can speak of the identity of Jesus. We can speak about Jesus and his unique personhood. That he's the son of God incarnate. Truly God. Truly man. That, that, that's one way we can speak about him. His unique personhood. That, that's one of the things that's taking place in 1 John chapter 2. Jesus is shown to be the eternal son of God who took on flesh. Truly God. Truly Man. But there's a second way we can talk about Jesus. It's not just his unique personality or his unique personhood. We can speak of the personality of Jesus. What was he like? Not just he's God and he's man, but if you would have met him, what would he be like? What's his personality like? If we were to have met him, this would have been evident. Jesus is the fount of everlasting joy. Had you met Jesus, there was one thing you would have known about him. This man is joyful. He is the fount of joy. Now maybe you're thinking, okay, well that's, that's good that Jesus was joyful and not a curmudgeon, but why does that matter? Why does that matter for me and my salvation? Well, author John Piper puts it well when he writes, if a lifeguard saves you from drowning in the Atlantic Ocean, you don't care if he's gloomy. It doesn't matter what his mental state is when you're hugging your family on the beach. But with the salvation of Jesus, things are very different. Jesus does not save us for our family, but for himself. And then he says this. If he is gloomy, our salvation will be sad. And that is no great salvation at all. It is not glorious to be gloomy, he writes. See, I doubt when you go to your mechanic, you, you, you're concerned whether he's the happiest guy on the planet. You just want to know, does he do the right job? Is he cheating me? Is he doing what he's supposed to be doing? Is he affordable? You're not telling everybody, man, you got to go check out this mechanic. He, I don't know if he's all that great, but he's happy. But it matters with Jesus. And John's... John Piper's illustration is so what we could care less whether we're out in the ocean and we're about to drown and a lifeguard jumps in and saves us. We could care less whether he had a good morning. We could care less that he's a happy guy. Because his job is done. He saved us. He gave us back to his family. Now he's going to go sit back in the stand. 
But it matters if Jesus saved him to himself. If he is not joyful, our salvation is not a happy salvation. It is not glorious to be gloomy. But here's the good news. Brothers and sisters, Christ is glorious because he is the wellspring of gladness. Listen how the scriptures describe him. At the very beginning of of Hebrews chapter 1, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to show how Jesus is greater than all the things God had shown and revealed through the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And one of the points that the writer of Hebrew makes very earlier is Jesus is greater than angels and, and the angelic beings. And then he turns from talking about angels to saying this about Jesus in Hebrews 1 verses 8 and 9. He quotes from a psalm and he says, But of the Son he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Did you hear Did you hear what is declared about Jesus? He is happier than all the hosts of heaven. He is happier than all the hosts of heaven. And we get a glimpse of that in in Luke chapter 15. I know we're making our way through the gospel of Luke and we haven't come to this text yet. But when we eventually come to Luke 15 and these three parables of the sheep and the coin and the son, listen to this parable Jesus gave about this woman finding a coin that was lost. In Luke 15 verses 8 through 10, we read this. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Now listen to verse 10. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now don't miss something that we can just move right over. Did you hear what he said? There is joy before the angels of God. Doesn't say among the angels of God. Well, who's the ones joyous before the angels? <sighs> the God of our salvation. People aren't saved. The one sheep that leaves the hundred doesn't get brought back. And the God of the universe, who has every right to show them judgment, doesn't say, well, it's about time you came back. You're glad I welcome you. No, it says, with great joy, before the angels, he rejoices in them. What about Jesus? Does Jesus actually say this about himself, that he's joyful? Listen to these words On the last night, Jesus was with his disciples in John 15 and in John 17. In John 15, 11, it doesn't get clearer than this. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I want you to have joy and I want you to have my joy. That implies that Jesus is joyful. Or think about when Jesus later that night before he is arrested and and then treated unjustly and then crucified, he prays to his father. And in John 17, 13, listen to what he says to his father. He says, now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Friends, do you see why it's good and glorious that Christ is joyous? Do you see why this is an important thing? That that Christ is joyful, that he has joy, and that his desire on the night, he was about to be treated in ways we we can't even get our minds around, all unjustly for our sake. And guess what he's concerned about? Not himself. On the night he's about to be arrested, he's got one thing on his mind. I can't wait to give my people my joy. I got joy and I want them to overflow with it. I can't wait for them to experience it. Now, here's why that's important. Who wants to be devoted to someone who's unhappy and hard to please? Do you see why it matters that Jesus is joyful and that's a good thing for us? Because if Jesus is our Lord, isn't it a good thing that he is not gloomy but glad? That he isn't a harsh taskmaster? Never please, we never do enough. We're just always wretched sinners in his sight. He holds his nose when we Come in his presence. It's not how the Bible speaks of him. Therefore, Jesus, when describing what his kingdom is like in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, this is what Jesus says about what his kingdom is like for those who experience it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then listen to this. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. That's how we should experience the kingdom of Christ. There should be joy because we see Christ as our great treasure. Now, I... I realize before we move on and, and then talk about finding joy in what Jesus has accomplished, I, I, I would imagine at this point you're thinking, okay, Josh, it, it, it's, it makes sense that, that joy is important. It's good that we see joy in Jesus. But what do you mean by joy? Can you define that? Is joy just a feeling of happiness? Is that what you're talking about? That we just put a smile on our face because, you know, we're here at church and, you know, and we just say little glib lines, just, you know, even though things aren't well. It's really not honest. It's actually a form of hypocrisy to do all of that. 
Because in reality, there there are pains and problems we're experiencing, but we just put a little smile on because we're at church. Is Is that what I mean by joy? No. See, the Bible speaks about joy in a very specific way and a very helpful way that I think it's good for us to to grasp. Let me just give you a few examples of the way joy is spoken of so that we're understanding. What what does it mean when when we say we're to cultivate joy? Joy in God because of Christ. Here's the first thing we see. The kind of joy that the Bible is speaking about doesn't ebb or flow. The kind of joy in God that the Bible talks about is not a joy we have when everything's well. We don't have any joy when things aren't going our way. Now, I could give many examples. Let me give you one. Philippians 4.4. The Apostle Paul writes to this church in Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Always, again, I say rejoice. Do you know where the Apostle Paul is when he wrote this letter? He's in prison. It's one thing for a guy in an ivory tower, a guy sitting in his office, to say, you should have joy at all times. You want to think, well, that's easy for you to say. The Apostle Paul says, be joyful. Always assuming that joy is not something that fluctuates. Not only does it not fluctuate, we find other passages of Scripture that show us joy in God not only fluctuates, it coexists in the midst of suffering. There's a little line in 2 Corinthians 6.10 that is so helpful. It has helped me tremendously understand the kind of joy we're talking about this morning. Paul is telling about what things, what things are like. He's given an update to this church, and this is what he says. We are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Now think about what he just said. He didn't say we're sometimes sorrowful and sometimes rejoicing. We're 50% sorrowful and 50% rejoicing. You just want to say, well, Paul, which one is it? You can't be sorrowful and rejoicing. And Paul said, yeah. We are sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Or think about what he wrote to this church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. He writes to this church that's experienced persecution because of Jesus. And he says this, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word, the gospel in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So Paul writes to this church that because they became Christians, it has brought on a world of hurt. It has not been every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Knowing Jesus has brought them into much persecution and trouble. And he commends this church and says, you have received the word along with all the persecution and you've done so with joy. Meaning... And once again, joy can coexist with suffering. And we see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. 
So here, here's, here's how I would describe joy. The kind of joy that's being talked about in Scripture. The kind of joy we have in God through Christ. It, it's, the, it, it's what occurs when our souls delight in something of great value or worth. That's the kind of joy we're talking about this morning. It's, it's, it's what our souls do. Our souls delight in something of great value or worth, meaning we can be experiencing horrible difficulties and hardships, and yet, though we don't rejoice in that hardship in itself, that's not what it means in 1 Peter 1 or in James chapter 1 when he says, consider it all joy when you face trials. He's not saying find your trials as joy. He's saying find joy in what this trial is producing. It's doing something. It's not a waste. If you belong to Jesus Christ, there is not a trial in your life that's ever a waste. So you're to find joy not in the trial, but in what it produces. So there is a joy that we can have. It's, it's, it's our soul delighting in something of great value and worth. And one of the main ways we can find joy in Christ that I think we are called to do by Scripture is to reflect on the salvation that was accomplished by Christ. Here's point two. I'm not going to spend much time here. We're called to find joy in what Jesus accomplished. See, not only was Jesus joyful, but what he accomplished for us should produce great joy in us. Think about the story of, of, of Christ's redemptive work. Begin with his birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Matthew 2, verse 10. We're told... And the angel said to them, the night that Jesus was born, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So the night of Jesus' birth, it was marked by joy. A little bit later, when, when, the, when the three wise men came seeking to see this Savior, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now think about what we just read. Think, think about how many, how many superlatives. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It, it's not just that they said, oh cool, we're finally here. That was a long trip. We weren't sure we were going in the right direction. Neat. We're good. Okay, good. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't know how else you can say it. They jumped up and down. They high-fived. They said, are you joking? Are you kidding me? We get to be here. We get to see this. See, the birth of Christ was marked by joy. And so was the crucifixion. You say, where do you find that? It was marked by Jesus' joy. Looking to Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2 says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What difference would it have made had Jesus endured the cross because he had to? 
And what difference does it make that Jesus endured the cross? Not because it was easy. Not because it was without pain that we will never experience in our lifetime or in eternity. But he did it with joy. So the birth of Christ is marked by joy. The crucifixion is marked by joy. The resurrection is marked by joy. Matthew 28, 10, we're told that, that as soon as the ladies left the tomb, it says that they were filled with fear and great joy. And they ran and they told his disciples. So his birth is marked by joy. His crucifixion is a moment of joy. His resurrection is marked by joy. And here's how Luke's gospel ends. When Jesus then appears to his disciples for a a time, he then is now returning to his father and it's time for him to ascend. And he ascends into the clouds. And here's how his disciples responded. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So his birth was marked by joy. His crucifixion was marked by joy. His resurrection was marked by joy. His ascension was marked by joy. And guess what? One day when he takes us into his presence, it's going to be marked by joy because Jude 24 says, Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his glory with great joy. You see why joy matters? See, Jesus Christ, he came into the world with joy. He died because of the joy that was set before him. His his empty tomb was a joyous occasion. His ascension was a joyous occasion. His return and us being in his presence will, will bring eternal, everlasting joy. See, it's not enough simply to believe in Jesus. You and I must rejoice in him. Let me say that again. It's not just enough to believe in Jesus. You and I must rejoice in him. Listen to this. Rejoicing is not the icing on the cake of just really, really mature disciples. I wonder if you think that this morning. Well, yeah, I would like to be joyful in Jesus. I'll get there one day. I guess that's one of those things that some people arrive at. Listen, genuine faith in Jesus is marked by Treasuring Christ and finding joy in Christ. So this is something we must take serious. Rejoicing in Jesus is the main ingredient of genuine faith. So, as we finish this series and we go into a new year, how can we cultivate true joy where we, where we treasure Christ above all else? Here's what we must do, and it's found once again. This is where we're ending here in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 1. Here's what we must do. We must see the beauty and worth of Christ in the pages of Scripture. That's what we must do in the new year. Notice what John says. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Which assumes that John's joy is not complete by him writing it, but by us reading it. Did you hear what John just said? 
by reading these things, the Jesus who was real and walked the earth, we can have fellowship with. So the only way we can know, the only way we can know the Savior and see His beauty and His worth and increase in joy is by reading the Scriptures. That's what we must do. See, those reading this letter, this is the point John's making, those reading this letter were told they could have fellowship with Jesus and ever-increasing joy through the power of the Holy Spirit as they reflect on the inspired words of Scripture. So here's my encouragement to you this year. If you and I do not read and reflect on Scripture, we will not cultivate these five virtues. This series will be one to put away in our journals and our places where we take notes and await next year's Advent series. But we cannot cultivate the kind of Christ-like virtues without being in the Scriptures, and we cannot fuel our joy in Christ if we're not going to the very place in which Christ is made known to us. So here's my hope for each one of you. My hope and my prayer is that this Christmas you would gladly receive a generous gift from God. And here's the gift. I don't know if you've already had some time with families and opened up gifts, but here's a gift to open this morning. Because when we open this up, the eternal Son of God who took on flesh is made real to us. And we can have fellowship with Him. And our joy can increase. And here's the best part. It's a gift that every time we open it up, it is a gift year-round. It's not just a gift on Christmas morning. It is the gift that keeps on blessing us all year round. So as we close out 2023... And we enter a new year. I want to encourage you, make it your goal to spend time reading and reflecting on scriptures outside of just Sunday mornings. If the only time you're ever opening up your Bible is on Sunday mornings, I just want to encourage you. You've got to find time. I'm not going to prescribe to you, you do it every day. You, you do it first thing you wake up. Hey, whatever works. All I can tell you is that the only time you encounter the Word of God is on Sunday morning. You're never going to mature. And you're never going to cultivate these virtues. And, and, and Jesus is going to be great to you on Sundays. And absent from you Monday through Saturday. So I want to encourage you to have a, a plan in place to, to be in the Scriptures. And I want to recommend one. And this is how I want to close. I want to recommend, I think, a very doable plan to get started for 2024. If you just want to know where to go. I know there are reading plans that take you through the entire Bible. Those are great. I'll be honest with you. That's quite ambitious. If, you don't, if you're not used to reading your Bible, that's like drinking from a fire hydrant. I don't know that I would start there. Not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. If you would like that, go for it. I just don't know 
that that's the best thing to do is to take the training wheels off and jump on a 10 speed down, <laughs> down the hill. Okay, so here's my recommendation. Begin 2024 in whatever pace you, you, you want to go at. Begin 2024 by reading the Gospel of John. Then after you finish with the Gospel of John, I would encourage you to read the letter of Philippians, which is known as the Epistle of Joy. Then after you read John and then Philippians, read Colossians. I think those three books will do a number of things that will help us all grow in seeing the beauty and worth of Christ, of treasuring Him more, and knowing how, if this is who Jesus is, how then am I called to live? So I, that, that's my, my encouragement to you. And I hope that gives you some form of a plan. If you have questions about that, the pastors, pastors would love to talk with you, recommend some other ways. We'd just love to hear what your practices are. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you, if you're not in the Word, you've got to be in the Word. But I don't want to beat you up. I don't want to guilt you or shame you. And I don't want to tell you to do something that as soon as you do it, you're going to be about a weekend and think, there's no way I can do this. That will not serve you. But I would not be a good pastor if I told you, if you do not read your Bible in 2024 outside of Sundays, you, you are going to stay a small Christian. And your joy is going to be minimal. And you will not be able to cultivate any of these virtues. This has been a great series, but it's not something you can live out. So you've got to make it your aim. Now, I want to pray for us. But before I do, I want to be very clear for anyone here this morning that may understand the truths of this morning because you've grown up hearing these truths, but they're not personal to you. The greatest gift God wants to give you this morning the very fact that you're here, it's, it's not chance. It's not a coincidence. If you're here this morning and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, the greatest gift He can give you is this wonderful truth that came in the form of a person. That though you deserve His judgment for your rebellion. God has put your judgment and your penalty for your sin on His Son so that you and I could be forgiven. That is the greatest gift you could receive this Christmas and for a lifetime. So if you're here this morning and you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, He is not your Savior I want you to hear that the, the main thing you were to take away from today is not, hey, read your Bible more, cultivate these virtues more. There's one thing you're called to do. Come to Christ. Come to Christ and live. Be forgiven. Let me pray for us now. And I want to pray in light of John 15, 11. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in ways that maybe we don't even 
comprehend or view you in this way. But Lord, you, you say that you are full of joy and that you want your joy to be in us. Lord, may that be true of us. May we know your joy and may we be full of your joy in the new year, no matter what comes our way. May we delight in our souls in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in all circumstances at all times. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. And we now pray that as we go about the rest of our day and all the festivities and special things and we go into tomorrow, the Lord, we would continue to rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.